Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives with new episodes airing every Tuesday. I'm Amanda Norris, and I'm the Revenue Cycle Editor for Health Leaders. In today's episode, Jamie Davis, Executive Director of Banner Health, is going to talk to us about the use of AI in the revenue cycle and Banner Health's journey in automating its revenue cycle management to protect against revenue leakage. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Jamie. It's such a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So to get us started, can you give the audience a bit of background on yourself, Banner Health, and your role in its revenue cycle management? Absolutely. You know, it all started in a small town in Minnesota. Just kidding. So at Banner Health, I'm the executive director for revenue cycle management, have an interesting and fun role. I am the liaison for our revenue cycle performance and strategic alignment with our um, regional C-suite. I have oversight of analytics, continuous improvement, um, the revenue cycle portfolio and project management, and strategy, and under strategy comes automation. I've been in healthcare and the revenue cycle roughly 20 years, which is super long, but also super interesting. Um, been with Banner about three and a half, four years, and uh, I have to tell you, it's one of my favorite organizations I've ever worked for. That's great. So as we know, the use of AI and automation within the revenue cycle is innovative and it's becoming more and more common. Can you explain to me what revenue cycle functions Banner Health recently started automating? Sure. We we have a lot going on. Um, we, we did kind of a crawl, walk, run approach. Honestly, full transparency, we tried to run first and then we fell down. So we realized we needed to slow down a little bit. Um, great lesson learned. So what we have, we have about 22, what I like to call our day-to-day bots. These are bots that just, you know, add an insurance, move a medical record, all the things that are smart human resources shouldn't waste their time doing because there's not a lot of return on it. Um, those manage roughly about 90 million records. Um, we've saved since probably um, mid 2020 to 2021, about 1.73 million man hours by using those. So really great outcomes there. We have some machine learning in our uh, refund and variance space. So both credit balance and debit balances. And then um, we are our, our IT team. And, and just so you know, our automation is done completely in partnership, largely with our IT group. They have their own RPA center of excellence, um, but they've also started dabbling in some process mining in our health plan data. Um, and we are working towards automating things like load balance and denials. Um, so yeah, a lot of really great fun stuff going on there with, with the, the automation of the denials and um, the low balance and the, the variances, that's where it's really rolling into that uh, intelligent automation, right? Because um, it's using, using machine learning and, and predicting and reacting. So that's the fun stuff. So what really triggered the need for automation? What were you seeing that made you say this needs to be fixed? You know, a, a couple of things. One of the the things that we've been experiencing in healthcare is that shift from the lower volume, higher reimbursement to higher volume, lower reimbursement. And it's just not sustainable to keep throwing bodies at it, quite honestly. Another thing is that, you know, payers have been using intelligent automation for some time to deny us, right? So we we need to get caught up with them. And then ultimately, and, and this is really where we want to go, the cost to deliver care in our country is really, really a challenge that we just can't seem to fix. So I know that revenue cycle and the financial or the administrative burden that we have today 
isn't the whole story, but is part of the story. So the more that we can automate and the less that we can use human resources for the, the small work, the better we'll be able to flex and be agile and not have to add bodies as we see volume shift, thus hopefully helping to um, stave off or potentially even reduce that cost to collect increase. Wow, so what steps were involved with implementing this automation and how long did the process take? I know you had said that you started running before you were walking, <laughs> so can you also explain a little bit what happened there? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think anyone who is trying to be innovative, we all have those horror stories where we're like, man, that worked out really well in the boardroom and not so much in real life. So it we had our PAs going. Our IT team had been working with our medical records team and, and managing records and moving them around with bots for a while. And we wanted to um, run into the space of high dollar implant, right? Because the theory is we want our technology to kind of pay for itself. And we thought, what a great way to do that. We'll increase that revenue. And we we were very strategic about it. Um, we deployed, you know, process engineer-like folks in our continuous improvement team, documented the processes, find all the variants, did all that, and um, began to write the Python code and the ML. And it worked until it didn't work. What happened was that the processes that we had documented varied from facility to facility. We have 30 hospitals, but also um, the person that we documented with, uh, come to find out, wasn't maybe uh, the person aligning with the appropriate workflows. So we automated a dysfunctional workflow and it ended up being more cumbersome to utilize the machine learning um, determination of what that implant should be versus a manual process. So it was it was a good learning experience and, and we did the fail fast theory. And then we stepped back and partnered with IT and went, how can we do this in a really strategic way, but not so, cumbersome with governance that you never get anything off the ground. And, and so we created hierarchical scoring for all of the automations that we wanted to consider. So it considers on one side the benefit. Is it net revenue? Is it compliance? Is it, you know, FTE reallocation, whatever? And we weighted those scores. And then we scored it on complexity of build. You know, how many process variants does it? How many systems are in there? And so we, you know, using your classic little foregrid of low effort, low return, high effort, high return, those folks in the middle, we use a hierarchical um, approach. And once we did that, we applied a continuous improvement um, team member to have oversight and to help be that glue or that subject matter expert in the revenue cycle to make sure we aren't recreating poor processes. And it just went gangbusters. You know, we had about four bots here, five bots here. Next thing you know, we have 15. Now we're at 22. And we have governance on it over it as well. So just because we want to automate something and just because we can automate something doesn't mean we should. So we bring all of our automation to the table, just like we do any other project. We have to explain it to our governance oversight. They have to agree that it strategically aligns. We look how it fits into our portfolio, make sure it doesn't um, tax resources that are be taxing that are taxed elsewhere. And, and then that's how we manage it. And then we have monitoring in place. We have dashboarding that monitors what those bots are doing, when they stop doing it, when they start doing it the wrong way. Because, you know, just like humans, uh, a bot needs to learn, be educated, and monitored. So that's how we've deployed here at Banner. And, and I'll tell you, I really think uh, this little playbook that we created 
has been really successful because now we have our feet under from a bot perspective and we're running really quickly. And with our ML based work, we've partnered with a couple of vendors and we're really starting to get traction there too. So would you say the whole process takes years to really ramp up? Well, you know, here's, here's the thing about that. I'm fortunate enough to work for an organization the size of Banner. So we had the bandwidth and staffing that our IT team was able to get a couple of data scientists. Um, I have a dedicated continuous improvement team. So for us, um, that, that lesson learned took about four months. Then the RPA staff took about another four to six. Um, so had we not, you know, gone crazy and thought we we're going to change the world out the gate, it, we probably would have been up and running and really solid in six months. Um, it takes us about two months to uh, document, identify, develop, and deploy our bots, um, two to three months for each one, and we can do a lot of that concurrently. So for an organization the size of Banner, that's really great, um, but for organizations who aren't as, as fortunate to have that scale, it may have a longer lead time. And that's where you start going, is this something I need to do internally or do I need to partner? So, so that's the timeline for Banner, but I don't know that that necessarily translates to everyone out there. Yeah, that makes sense. So what tangible benefits has Banner Health seen since automating its revenue cycle? I mean, it sounds like you have a lot of bots, a lot of things going on, so you can yeah. pick something specific, you know, that's been the most fruitful. Sure, sure. Yeah. So we, um, like I mentioned, our bots have managed about 91 million records, saved about 1.73 man hours. Uh, now, I want to caution everyone. Everybody and their brother has tried to, to, to convince me otherwise, but you're not going to get FTE savings out the gate. And here's why. There isn't a RevCycle shop alive that's working every single thing every single day. If you are, you may be overstaffed, right? So we saw the benefit of reallocating that work, and then our team members worked more complex work, and we start to see pickup in things like reduction in denials and, and increased cash. From the ML-based variance work, we saw about 0.2 of an AR day and 0.1 of an AR day in credit balances, net AR day um, reduction. Now, that, that doesn't sound like a lot, but we're an $11 billion organization, so a net revenue day, 0.2 of it's pretty considerable. You're talking about millions of dollars there. So we've seen tangible um, results, again, because the way that we approach these automations is we had to quantify the problem first so that we were sure to be able to measure the problem and the benefit later. So although automation is becoming more commonplace in the revenue cycle, there are still a lot of skeptics. Like you said, especially for the smaller organizations, you know, that are looking at so long to get this off the ground. But what would you say to those revenue cycle leaders that are skeptical of making the jump into AI and automation? And what advice would you give them about moving forward with such a large endeavor? Well, I, I think the first bit of advice I would say is don't go big, don't go big first. And and again, kind of leveraging the playbook that we did, you know, find your pain points, quantify them, make sure they're measurable, and then just do the do the first things first, where you're gonna get the greatest bang for your buck using that scoring, that hierarchy. It can be overwhelming, and especially there's a lot of third parties and vendors out there, you know, I can automate the world and I'll save you a gajillion dollars. And when you get into it, that's not really what is there. So it's also educate yourself, leverage your networks, leverage things like HFMI, go to Becker's, talk to other people. A lot of organizations out there do have really great lessons learned and um, deployment strategies. So, so for, for smaller organizations, 
leverage your networks, leverage your professional organizations um, to get that intel. Uh, I'm always happy and I love partnering with other health systems to see, you know, how are you doing it? And I think that's really how you can um, level set, you know, first things first, quantify, start small, get good at that and then expand and then leveraging networks and making sure that you have a really good understanding of what vendors are offering before you commit. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your expertise with us. It was so nice talking to you. I, I'll, I'll talk ad, ad nauseum about automation, so I appreciate it. Of course. So thank you for listening to Health Leaders Podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday with more healthcare industry insights.